0: Good morning, Jubilee. Good morning.
1: Wow. So, seems like the Holy Spirit's here then, and uh, there's an anointing for some stuff this morning. So, I've got to tell you, I'm so excited about this sermon, and uh, not particularly because it's me, um, but because this passage of Scripture is absolutely awesome. And I know I could say that about any verse of any passage in the whole of Scripture, but genuinely. This is amazing. Anyway, so um, are you ready for the next stage of your heart health check? That's the question for this morning, because we've been spending some time in this series looking at the life of David, who is described in Scripture as a man after God's heart. And uh, really, we're doing that so that we can catch something of the heart of God and adjust our hearts to be more in line with that. So over the weeks, we've looked at various heart issues like justice, like friendship like character, like humility. And we've been challenged to take stock and reflect on the state of our hearts. So how is your heart this morning? Well, we're going to dip into this episode of, of David's life. And it, it follows following the death of Saul, who was the first king of Israel, there was a long conflict as David established his throne. And many years later, we read this. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd love it if you could turn to 2 Samuel and chapter 9. We're going to read the whole chapter. Uh, It's only 13 verses, but it's packed full of uh, the grace of God. So 2 Samuel chapter 9, we read this. Then David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Zeba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Zeba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Zeba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Zeba said to the king, Behold he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodebar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodebar. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, here is your servant. David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you shall eat again at my table regularly. And he prostrated himself and said, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? Then the king called Saul's servant, Zebra, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. I have given your master's grandson." You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had 15 sons, pretty good going, and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in the house of Zeba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's
0: table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. I'm going to pray. Oh Lord, we have sung of
1: the wonders of your truth this morning how great you are, how magnificent you are, how wonderful you are. And We've heard how you draw near to us and pour out your oil of joy upon us. And so as we sit under your word this morning, would you do that? Would you refresh our spirits? Would you feed us with your truth? And maybe we tra- may we be transformed by your Holy Spirit this morning. Amen. Well... To understand this episode and about Mephibosheth, we need to go back and recap the story just briefly. So when Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in battle, a new king was required. And on Saul's side, in his family, if you like, Jonathan was next in line. But he was now dead, and so there were a load of other sons who were all jostling for the throne. David, on the other hand, well... He had already been anointed as king, and as a military leader, he was recognised by the people as suitable for kingship, and so he could now assume the throne. And what happened was civil war, and there was the house of David versus the house of Saul, and uh, Saul's house became weaker and weaker, and David's house became stronger and stronger, and Ultimately, he established himself on the throne. But as we all know, old habits die hard. And so the house of Saul was still seen as the enemy house for those who followed David. And there was still animosity between the two groups. And so given all that, even though it was many years later, the opening verse of this chapter should shock us. Is there anyone left? of the house of Saul, that I may show kindness to them. Is there anyone from among my rivals, my enemies, my opponents, those who sought to kill me, to whom I can show kindness? And the
0: answer comes back, yes, there is. Mephibosheth.
1: Now, Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, and when Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle, he was only five years old at that point. And there was real danger for him, because he was in line for the throne. If Saul died, which he did, Jonathan was next in line, he died. So then next in line is Mephibosheth. And in the power vacuum and then the chaos that ensued, there was a significant risk that one of Saul's other sons, one of Mephibosheth's uncles, might claim the throne And kill anyone who was a threat. And Mephibosheth would be one of those. And so we read this in chapter 4 of 2 Samuel and verse 4. Now Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came in from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, she fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. You see the result... Of the nurse's actions, Mephibosheth was taken to a safe place, and he survived there. But the cost of surviving was that he was crippled in both legs for life. And that day became the day which defined Mephibosheth.
0: Until this day that we read about in chapter 9, when David asked the question, Who is there who I can show kindness to?
1: So what comes to mind when you hear the word kindness? Maybe it's offering someone an ice cream on a hot day like this, or helping with the shopping, or putting your neighbour's bins out. In our house, be kind to your brother. Usually occurs when they're about to poke each other in the eye or something like that. happens very rarely, I can assure you. But there's this currency at the moment about random acts of kindness. And World Kindness Day is coming up on the thirteenth of November, a day to be kind.
0: And all this is good, but it's just
1: scratching the surface. Biblically, kindness is a far, far, far greater thing. Biblically, kindness is powerful, it is destiny changing, it is groundbreaking and earth-shattering. It's a powerful active word that means loving kindness, steadfast love. It has overtones of grace and mercy. When people encounter true kindness, they are changed and transformed. You may sit there and you think, well, that's all very nice, but how can you make that claim? Well, we've got two ways of settling. Either we could look up every occurrence of the word in the Bible, and see what it says. That would take us a very, very long time, because this is a really important biblical word, particularly in the Old Testament. I would encourage you to go and do it. But instead, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack this little chapter of 13 verses. And I hope that we'll paint a picture of this interaction between David and Mephibosheth that will let us catch something of the transformative power of kindness.
0: so let's see what we notice. Well, I think
1: the first thing we notice is that David calls Mephibosheth back. That's what kindness does. So in verse 5, we read that King David sent and brought him back. Kindness, you see, calls back the exiles. Even if they're enemies on paper, it calls them back. Mephibosheth wasn't even living in the promised land. This son of a king was living east of the River Jordan in low Debar. He'd taken himself outside of the place where God's people lived. And David's kindness called him back. The book of Romans opens with three chapters of a description of the complete sinfulness of all humanity. And it culminates in chapter three, verse 23, where it says, for all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. But, halfway through those three chapters, we read this in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Did you catch that? The kindness of God is so powerful that it causes lives to be turned around. Because that's what repentance means. It means turning around and going in the opposite direction. And so when David says, is there anyone I can show kindness to? And he calls for Mephibosheth to come back. Come back in to the presence of God. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. back to where we belong but it it doesn't just call us back it then welcomes us in so in the very next verse we say that Mephibosheth he then came to David he didn't just he wasn't just brought back to stand outside and think isn't this nice to not have to cross the river now he stands there welcomed into the presence of the king and he's told do not fear in verse 7 why shouldn't he fear He's in the presence of the righteous king. And that's what repentance does. It calls us back and it brings us in to the presence of the righteous
0: king. And in that place, he's reminded of his identity. Did you notice the first word that David says to Mephibosheth in verse 6? Look at it now. Just taking a drink. From my kindness of God bottle. We all need a
1: drink of that today. Not that literal one. COVID rules would say something. But drink from the kindness of God today. Have you found it? What
0: was the first word he said? It's Mephibosheth.
1: Mephibosheth. The king knows his name. The king knows his name. The first time the king sees Mephibosheth he greets him as a person with dignity and due honour. Contrast that with Zeba. Is there anyone who I can show kindness to? Yeah, there's this son of Jonathan who's a cripple. Won't use his name. David uses his name. Reminds him of his identity. Mephibosheth himself goes on to describe himself in verse 8 as a dead dog. That's a fairly low thing to describe yourself as. But David, in kindness, uses Mephibosheth's name. He acknowledges who he is. He calls him the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul. And he, kindness does this to us. It reminds us of who we are. And not only that, it invokes the covenant. <laughs> Verse 7. He calls him, he says, don't fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Kindness is a covenant word. And it comes out here in the context of the covenant that David and Jonathan made years before. And I need to read this to you. Rob mentioned it a few weeks ago when he preached on friendship. But it's really important. So 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse Still alive, will you not? This is David and Jonathan talking to each other. David to Jonathan. If I am still alive, will you not show me the kind, loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? You shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever. Not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. And then the chapter uh, finishes with this. Jonathan said to David, Go in safety inasmuch as we have each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord will be between me and you, between my descendants
0: and your descendants forever. Covenant. Covenant language. Kindness mentioned there as they covenant and agree it. It's a promise. Loyalty of love, of friendship. And it isn't a passing. This isn't just hyper emotion. For a long time, they're saying goodbye. This is deep. covenant language. This is love. And this is how the heart of God throbs for us. Kindness is God's covenant agreement with us. So, kindness calls us back, reminds of us, our, our rem- invokes the covenant,
1: but it also restores his inheritance. Verse 9 All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. Mephibosheth gets it all. In verse 7, he gets the land. In verse 9, he gets everything that belonged to his grandfather. In verse 10, he gets Zeba and his family as servants. In verse 10, he gets the produce of the land. So what does kindness
0: get us? Let me read to you one of the most
1: condensed descriptions of the gospel in the whole of scripture. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. But when the kindness of God, our Saviour, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we, have not, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What does kindness do? It appears in the form of Jesus and it saves us, washes us, renews us, regenerates us and it makes us heirs. It gives us an inheritance that doesn't perish, spoil or fade. Kept in heaven for you. Kindness gives us our inheritance and it seats us with the king. Verse 10, Mephibosheth, Your master's grandson shall eat at my table now and again. No. He sits at your table and eats regularly. He's just given him all the land with all the produce of the land. And then he says, but you get to sit at my table anyway and eat. It's blessing upon blessing upon blessing. This is not a one-off, but it's regularly. So what about us? Where are we seated? Well. Ephesians 2, verses 6 and 7. Christ raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's there again. The kindness is shown to us in Christ Jesus as we are seated. With the king. Kindness brings us in from the edges. From the margins. It welcomes us in. It sits us with the king in royal places. That's what kindness does. And it bestows honor. (laughs) Bestows honor on him. So it says Mephibosheth in verse 11. Ate at the king's table. As one of the king's sons. This enemy is adopted from the house of Saul into the house of David. He eats at the king's table as one of the king's sons. Kindness, you see, bestows honor on us. And it calls us sons and daughters of the king.
0: And not only that, it
1: covers his shame. It bestows honor and it covers his shame. Verse 13. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. So he was living outside the promised land in some random town that until I'd read this chapter, I didn't know existed. And now he's in the royal city in the presence of the king. So he's in living in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. Notice how the now he was lame in both feet is a description that follows after his status, after the place where he's living, after the place where he's seated, rather than being the thing which defined him, because Mephibosheth, the cripple, the outcast, the exile, is seated at the king's table, and the table covers his shame. You can't see his lame legs when he sat at the table. His crippling deformity is no longer in view. It is covered and hidden by the grace and mercy and kindness of the king.
0: So do you believe me that kindness, true kindness, God's kind of kindness, is life-changing and transformational? Because I'm convinced of it.
1: But when we read of David wanting to show kindness to those who were his enemies, it's David demonstrating the heart, God's heart of kindness towards us. And so we need to allow this to affect us, I think, in two ways. It needs to affect, first, the way we define ourselves. We can all be like Mephibosheth. For Mephibosheth, everything had become about that day. That day when the nurse dropped him. Or when she fell with him and ruined his legs. And as he fled the city into the middle of nowhere. They couldn't draw attention to this son of, grandson of the king. And so his legs would have just not had the treatment they needed probably. And so in his mind, that day is solely about loss and hurt and pain. Even though the day was also about rescue, safety, and a chance of life and a future. That day became the day which defined the rest of his life negatively. He was a prince of Israel, a member of the family of God, but he didn't view himself like that. And it resulted in him living outside the promises of God, outside the presence of God, outside the people of God. And as I was preparing this, I think there are some who are going to be listening today who define themselves by their past, who write themselves off because of some issue. And it may go back to a very particular day that you can pinpoint, like it did for Mephibosheth here. Maybe even it was a day that was meant to be special, a high point, a celebration. But in fact, when you reflect on that day, all you can remember is maybe the careless word that ruined it, or the hurtful comment, or the misplaced joke, or the stinging rebuke, or the harsh look, or the abusive touch. And that's what mars the day. And instead of remembering the day and what that was really about, it's become about the memory of that thing. Now I'm not trying to, in saying this, minimize any of that pain.
0: Pain is real and it does hurt. But there's a difference between
1: that and allowing it to define who we are. And if you allow like Mephibosheth, to define yourself by the hurt and by the pain and by the loss, you will end up describing yourself as a dead dog and living outside of the promised land, locating yourself across the river, away from God's blessing. For some of you, it might not be about a specific incident of hurt or pain. It may be just that you've defined yourself according to to something that's outside of God's definition of you. Define yourself using man's categories. And man's categories of defining ourselves are all about trying to make you feel like you belong to a particular group, but ultimately are about comparison and emphasizing difference. And there's plenty of ways for us to be tempted to do that. So a few years ago, leave or remain.
0: Maybe that's still an issue, I don't know. Now maybe it's how many vaccinations have you had. Maybe it's about whether you're working
1: class or middle class. Maybe it's what race you're part of. Maybe it's what your occupation is or your gender or your sexuality or your nationality or your education. What box do you put yourself in? How do you define yourself? And I've just got a sense that for some of us, this has been quite a recent development in our thinking. Lockdown has raised questions for us. Where do we fit? It's given us time to think. Maybe time to disconnect from other people and and the truth that they speak regularly into our lives. Can I urge you, be very, very careful. Because it's what God says about you that really matters. How does he define you? Whether you're working class or middle class, or any other difference that you might want to highlight, the result is the same. You can end up seated in honor at the king's table. That is the kindness of God. And so the kindness of God must affect us in helping us to define ourselves in the right way. But the second way kindness needs to affect us is the way we define others. And we've got a clear choice on offer here. We can be like Ziba, who saw Mephibosheth as a cripple and wouldn't even utter his name. There's a sequel to this story as well, which is fascinating. I haven't got time to go into it now, but read 2 Samuel, chapters 16 through 19.
0: That's all I'm saying. Teaser. So we can be like Ziba. Don't read it now. Listen to me. But...
1: That's your homework. So we can be like who only saw Mephibosheth as a cripple. Or we can be like David who saw him as someone who could have the kindness of God poured out on him. And David allowed the kindness of God to so overwhelm him that his heart was full of kindness towards others, even though they were a crippled enemy who didn't deserve, in human terms, the time of death. We're called to be agents of kindness to anyone, whoever they are. Enemies or friends, outcasts or part of the incline. And for us, as a people filled with the Holy Spirit, we should be growing fruit. And one fruit is kindness, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness,
0: kindness, gentleness and self-control. And this kindness that we can demonstrate is magnificent.
1: It really is. It is life-changing for us and others. It is transformational. It takes us and others from outside to inside, from no one to someone, from death into life, from shame into honor, from skulking in the shadows to sitting in the light, from exile to the king's table. It can redefine us, and it can redefine others, just like it redefined Mephibosheth. And it happened because the kindness of God
0: filled David's heart and melted Mephibosheth. So let me ask you the question I started with. How is your heart? Is it full of the kindness of God? We need to be asking the question, is there anyone that I can show the kindness of God to? The answer to that is yes. So you've got to answer the the follow-up question, which is, who is there that I need to show the kindness of God to? I just wonder if we could stand, and in your homes, if you could stand, and uh, we're going to respond to this.
1: Just put yourself in a posture of receiving from God. Show him that you are serious about the state of your heart. About it coming more in line with what he demonstrates. And it may be that you find it helpful to hold out your hands. It may be that you find it helpful to kneel. It might, whatever. But come into that place
0: where the Holy Spirit He's saying, I'm open to you, Holy Spirit. And I'm going to pray for us. Because we all need him to invade. Holy Spirit, as your people in this room and scattered across the region, we stand, sit, kneel before you as a people. And say
1: we are open to you, Holy Spirit, in taking us and using us in whatever way you choose. We are astounded again at the depth of the riches of Scripture, that in this episode your heart is so clearly revealed in kindness towards us. And as we've read those New Testament scriptures which Paul applies so directly to us as children of God, we are amazed that you would treat us like that. And so, Father, would you bring the antidote to all the world's labelling, the the healing power to all the pain and hurt that we feel, and would you pour your kindness into our hearts?
0: Would you move with the balming, soothing, healing anointing of your kindness towards us in Christ Jesus? and fill our hearts,
1: that we may see ourselves as you see us, and that that would overflow, spill out, and affect those whom we encounter
0: day after day after day. May we be agents of kindness in this hurting world. Thank you, Jesus.